0: Uh, Thank you for uh, joining me. I guess it's more I'm joining you. And it it was a, I've done this twice before, Uh, both times. It has been really encouraging. I did the 24-hour prayer meeting, I think that was a week or two ago, and I went with a few friends, and I, I want this encouragement to be heard, that everyone who walked out was talking about how cool it was to... Hear a global perspective on prayer, and to be praying around the world for the common goal of God's glory. I thought that was, it's truly a unique opportunity, and I'm really happy to be back here. Mr. Lee has asked me to reintroduce myself. I am a junior university student at Bob Jones. Uh, My name is Max Rankin. I am a, uh, I'm from Brookfield, Wisconsin, which is um, one of the states in the United States. I'm sure you know that, but just want to clarify. And I am a three-year-old believer. I came to Christ when I was 18 years old from a Roman Catholic background. And last time I was here, I actually shared a little bit about that. Uh, this time, for because I already shared about it and because I want to spend more time in the Word of God, uh, I'll just remind you of that and uh, we'll move forward. I'll be t- We'll be taking a look in first Kings chapter 17, First Kings chapter 17. What is happening at this point in God's word first uh, the book of Kings is written to the people of Israel while they are in exile. and the point of the book, or one of the, the main features is to encourage a rebellious Israel, a exiled Israel that God is still working in the world. If we, if we look in First Kings 16, right before this text, we'll be in the first seven verses of chapter 17. If we look right before this, we see the rise of King Ahab. He's a notorious king in the book of Kings. And 1 Kings 16 describes King Ahab this way in verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. I find that interesting because there is a long line of succession of kings in Israel that it is king after king after king who does evil in the sight of the Lord. And the writer of Kings pays particular interest in King Ahab and uses the story of King Ahab, a rebellious king, to display God's faithfulness and his sovereignty. And we'll see that here in our text. What has King Ahab done? This 16 will also outline that. He does three major wicked acts. First, he marries Queen Jezebel, a pagan woman. And because he has married Queen Jezebel, he also turns to idol worship, worshiping Baal. And on top of these two major acts, both things God said would happen. He, he also predicted at the destruction of Jericho that Jericho would be rebuilt. It is under King Ahab that Jericho is rebuilt, you can see that in verse 34 of chapter 16. And it is with that perspective that we jump into chapter 17 with uh, the Elijah, the prophet, coming onto the scene. So chapter 17, verse 1, we'll read just this verse to begin. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Through the prophet Elijah, God begins to display his coming work. He shows that he is still active in declaring this judgment, and he is challenging the idol worship of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17, God says that if you turn, if Israel were to turn from God and serve idols, that he would bring a drought. That, so this is a fulfillment of that text. But on top of, on top of that judgment, Baal is the supposed God of, of the harvest, And so the pagan worshipers would would have believed that Baal was what brought rain to Israel year after year after year, despite the fact that God's word says that it is by God's sovereignty that rain has been brought forth. And so not only is this a declaration of judgment, this is also... A challenge on the uh, pagan, pagan idol god Baal, and so Elijah makes this declaration: God has spoken through Elijah and said that no rain shall come. And then, if we were to move down to verse seven, and after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land, we see God fulfills His promises. His promise. Elijah begins and he says, the Lord is speaking through me and saying that a drought will come. And then we see in verse 7 of chapter 17 that the drought, in fact, does come. It is with faithful expectation that we as believers expect God to do his work. And that, that is why I like to point out something that's very striking. If we were to turn our Bibles to James chapter 5 and begin in verse 17, I'll read this very quickly. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. These verses are rather striking to me. They're striking because Elijah knows that God has said that he is going to cause a drought to occur. He knows, he he believes in his faithful God to do what his word has said. Elijah's question is not, what has God said? It's when will God do what God has said? And it, with the knowledge of God's sovereignty, his omnipotence, I'm brought to a striking question, which is God has already declared what he is going to do. And yet Elijah still prays that that very thing will happen. And the question I have is how does that inform our prayer, knowing that Elijah, who in this case is our example, knew because God had spoken through him that God was going to do exactly what he says he's going to do because we believe in a sovereign, omnipotent God who can bring about a drought. Why is it that knowing who his God is, he continues to pray? The answer, I don't know if it's necessarily obvious. Part of of the answer is that we have a relationship with our God. And it is not a rudimentary transaction of thought, but it is a relationship that is informed by the communication of the other. I'll illustrate this very quickly. If I I were to talk to one of my friends and I were to say that I was going to a baseball game tomorrow and they were to see me two days later, they would respond, how did that baseball game go? Their communication is informed By what I have communicated to them. In the same way, our communication to God is informed by how He has communicated to us what He has promised and what He desires. And also, following the example of Elijah, we can look at the promises of Scripture, the things that we hold dear to us, and pray to God that those things will happen. We know that they will happen, but we still continue because of that relationship that we have to pray that those things would occur. I hope that thought is encouraging and it'll be informing to our prayer. And I'll hand it back over to Mr. Lee.